Welcome to the Team FNC podcast, where we aim to improve your knowledge and understanding of nutrition. So welcome to the Team FNC podcast. Today I'm joined by a special guest, uh, Alex Rodriguez, also known as A-Rod. Um, mate, welcome to the podcast. Do you want to start by just telling us a bit more about yourself and I guess what got you interested in the nutrition, health and fitness space? Thanks so much for having me, Josh. I appreciate it, mate. So yeah, I'm Alex. I'm 23 and I'm very close to being a dietitian now. Uh, my interest in health, fitness, nutrition especially goes back a long way. I've had a bumpy roads on my way to finding my passion. Um, however, I've always been interested in, in the human body, in how it functions. And then I guess in, in early high school years, I started to become interested in food, specifically in cooking and learning more where food came from. However, tie into the mix, a, I guess, body image challenges and other psychological challenges as well, I uh, did experience disordered eating and body image issues for a long time, most like from my late, late childhood, early and mid-adolescence. And I did experience clinical eating disorders as well. And I guess throughout my journey of recovery towards more recent years now, I guess I've only just recently discovered my, relatively recently discovered my passion in, in eating disorders, dietetics specifically and helping that I guess niche population who are developing eating disorders or who have just started, have just been diagnosed with an eating disorder. And I really, really, really want to pursue a career now, helping inspire recover, recovery in other people. Yeah, great, man. So through your own experience with, you know, uh, disordered eating patterns and yeah, a diagnosed clinical eating disorder, you're interested and passionate about helping others who have gone through a similar journey or are, you know, different phases on their perhaps uh, eating journey. Exactly, man. Exactly. And um, I've been grateful to access so many opportunities as a student. However, what I've said to everyone is that using lived experience of an eating disorder as a health practitioner in the space is, is invaluable and really, really special in terms of connecting with a, with a client or with a consumer in terms of understanding parts of their experience and then I guess helping them to build trust in you as well and that you have their best interest at heart. However, I also acknowledge that um, as a student still, and there's also a world out there in terms of how to treat a client, I've got a lot to learn, but I'm excited, I guess, about using my lived experience for good now. Yeah, I think that's really powerful, man. Like, you know, at FNC, like our core pillars and values are based on self-determination theory, which is competence, autonomy, and relatedness. And I think just having that relatedness with a coach and knowing that, you know, they are number one, they are human. They haven't had a perfect diet their whole life or a perfect experience with nutrition, health, and fitness. Um, but also to know that they've kind of been on a similar journey to you and similar path is going to help connect that coach and client relationship even more rather than if the client thinks, oh, this guy's got no idea what I'm talking about or, or what I've been through. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. You don't want to be speaking to a brick wall. You don't want to be speaking to somebody who doesn't care about you and is coming across that they don't really care about your situation and they're not even listening. Someone's someone looking for help with their nutrition or the health or lifestyle is vulnerable. They're, they're admitting things to you that they may not talk to about, talk to about with other people. 
So it's it's our job to be relatable and actually listen to our clients. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's fantastic, man. Well, I think what might be really good to do early on in this episode is to actually get clear on, on the spectrum of um, disordered eating. So it's not just a matter of either you've got an eating disorder clinically diagnosed or you are what we would call quote unquote normal. There are kind of four spots on that spectrum. So I guess you want to dive a little bit deeper into what those four, I guess, uh, checkpoints are on the, on the spectrum of um, disordered eating. Absolutely, man. So I'm grateful for the main organization that helped educate me on this was Eating Disorders Victoria, who I volunteer for. And then I've also tied in, I guess, some personal experience with this as well. But quote unquote normal leading, and I like how you put a quote unquote, because what is normal is different for everybody. But quote unquote normal eating is where someone's quality of life can be maintained. So food and their body image isn't preoccupying their every single moment of their breathing day they're going about their life whether they're working whether they're studying whether they're engaging in social extracurricular activities and food isn't something that dominates their mind food is just something which they enjoy which they eat when they are hungry for it which they treat themselves to certain foods when they feel like it however they're also able to recognize when they're full recognize when they don't want to eat anymore and recognize when there's other things that they need to go on and carry on with throughout their day. Like I said before, work, study, um, extracurricular activities, whatever it may be. So food forms an important part of someone's life and they're eating in a way which is obviously nourishing for their requirements, which meets their preferences, which meets their emotional and spiritual needs, which is suitable for their finances and the level of resources which they have in their home, wherever they're living. So food is something which fits into their life and enhances their life but doesn't actually dominate their life and isn't something which they measure their sense of self or sense of self-worth with and i guess in relation to all of that their body image as well when someone who with someone who is a normal eater or experiences quote-unquote normal body image every now and again they may have somewhat negative body image thoughts not every one of us are 100 positive all the time however these negative body image experiences aren't frequent they just they come and go infrequently and the thoughts and their feelings about their bodies aren't frequent the thoughts and feelings about their bodies aren't tied extremely strongly to their sense of self or self-worth to the point where they measure their worth or measure who they believe they are as a human being purely on what they look like or what their body shape, size or weight is. And therefore, they don't use food or they don't significantly alter their food in inappropriate ways to try and control their body image. Right. So it's really that when someone is in that, I guess we'd say normal eating um, area, they, they're satisfying what we call deep health at FNC. So it's not just physical health, it's also your social, emotional, uh, your mental, even environmental, economic health. All those areas of your life are, are being fulfilled. Um, one isn't suffering as a result of, of focusing too much on your, your intake or your exercise or your body image. Um, and there's an overall, I guess, would say a net positive. And there's no, I guess, negative aspects in regards to your your quality of life absolutely absolutely and that 
that's what I really want to come back to. I love what you said, quality of life. That's the main thing we want to bring things back to because there's so many different concepts of what people promote as health, right? And some of them are more positive. Some of them are less positive than others. But quality of life is ultimately what we want to bring things back to, right? Because Mm. all of us are living. So we want to be living in a a quality way, a way which fulfills us. So Yeah. yeah, I'll be coming back to that a lot. Awesome, yeah. And I think it was really important that you touched on, you know, that it doesn't mean if you have you if you're at this normal um, stage of the eating disorder and body image spectrum that you don't, I guess, have 100% positive body image all the time. Like there might be days where you don't feel your best or don't feel like you look your best, but again, it doesn't have a negative impact on your quality of life. And it, I guess it doesn't linger. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's unrealistic to be 110% positive about everything all of the time. It's yeah. unrealistic. Exactly right. Um, all right. So we, in nutrition, health and fitness, there's a, a like a big uh, black or white, on or off, you're this or you're that when it comes to anything. Um, and like I said before, it, it's not the case, especially in the eating disorder space. It's not like normal or disorder. Also, it's not normal or eating disorder. There's a few different spectrums. So the next part is uh, the preoccupation phase. Um, do you want to dive a little bit more into, I guess, what that is and what some of the characteristics may be? Absolutely, man. So I, I like how you mentioned about the nutrition and kind of quote fitness space, because I feel like m- most of us have probably been preoccupied with our food and or our body image at some point in this space. Lots of clients of whether it's be a dietitian or a nutritionist or a personal trainer in a gym, whatever it is, people who come to them, not always, but most often, more often than not, someone will start to become preoccupied with what their bodies look like and preoccupied with what they're eating. So someone who's preoccupied is where they're starting to think about food and maybe starting to plan their foods a little bit more than what they quote unquote normally would, a little bit more than other brand, other people in their life normally would. So their waking day is starting to become more dominated about thoughts about what they're eating, thoughts about what they're going to eat, thoughts about if what they did eat or what they're going to eat is quote unquote okay or quote unquote healthy. And it's starting to, I guess, cause some form of stress or just ever so slightly starting to interfere with their life in some way. Not to a significant extent, they can mostly carry on with what they're doing, but it's starting to dominate their thoughts a little bit more and therefore they may start looking into google diet programs or whatever it is or hopefully they may start going to actually see a health professional but they're starting to i guess feel anxious about what they're eating and starting to contemplate making changes and unfortunately they may find negative sources which may not encourage the best way of change Um, And then if you look at the body image side of things, they're starting to worry about what they look like. They may be starting to have increasingly negative thoughts about what their bodies look like. And they may start to ask for help too, or they may start to take measures in order to to change them. And then then they may start doing these sorts of things. It's not significantly impacting their life yet. It's just starting to dominate their psyche a little bit more where they're, where they're like, okay, I'm not comfortable with this anymore. I really want to start making change. Or I feel like I need to start making changes. Probably a better way to put that. 
And people who don't progress further than this may float in and out of this preoccupied stage. They may, for example, February right now, with all the bloody challenges going on in gyms around the country, people may float into this preoccupied state where they're not feeling great about their bodies after the Christmas, January holiday periods, where there's marketing and advertising all around them. There may be other people at work or at school who are doing some form of New Year's challenge thing. And they may start to internalize these messages and feel negative about their bodies and, and or about the way they're eating and start to become preoccupied with this and look for ways to maybe start changing it. But some people will, will stay here. Some people will float back towards quote unquote normal for them. And unfortunately, some people with certain personality traits and life experiences may start progressing towards yeah, what we call disordered eating. Yeah, I think before we dive into the disordered eating uh, phase, um, I think, you know, the preoccupation is, is what it says on the tin. You start, your thoughts become preoccupied. Your life becomes a bit more preoccupied with how you look and I guess your, your day-to-day um, thoughts and beliefs around nutrition and, you know, is this going to you know, help me look a certain way? Um, will it have a negative impact? And you said before that, you know, you know maybe, uh, planning or thinking more about nutrition. And I think planning your nutrition is great, but when it adds extra stress onto your life, that's when you might be in that preoccupied phase. Um, I just wanted to really touch on the fact that you said that you can go in and out of this normal to preoccupied phase. Um, and in the, I guess, uh, just being completely raw and, and honest is that I sometimes go through this uh, normal to preoccupied phase. There's a, a period of time where a few times in my career as a nutritionist, I've like, you know, haven't wanted to take my shirt off at the gym because I thought, you know, why, you know, people might not want to listen to me if I don't have a completely ripped six pack, you know what I mean? Um, and those are the thoughts that sometimes pop into pop into our heads, even as professionals. So we are humans as well. And we sometimes have these, I guess, thoughts that pop up um, and it's about, yeah, trying to tackle them early on and challenge them and, yeah, trying to get, I guess, shift back into that that normal um, phase. I absolutely love everything that you just said, Josh. Especially, especially that last thing where you said there, because I, I'm I'm the same, and I'm sure many health professionals would say something very similar. Where I I'm recovered from an eating disorder, but still nowadays, 2022, I still float in towards a preoccupied stage after the Christmas period. I was, I was drinking a lot more than normal, eating things I probably wouldn't normally eat on that frequent of a basis. And my body did change. My body naturally did change a little bit. And I did start becoming preoccupied myself. But the thing I love, the thing I love that you said towards the end there was it's about learning to, I guess, combat or a nice way of saying that is restructure some of the thoughts that we are having about ourselves and help ourselves to, to I guess, make changes in the moment and pull ourselves back towards the normal eating, the normal eating and the quote unquote normal body image space, rather than letting ourselves become preoccupied even further to the point where we may start getting disordered. Yeah. yeah, It's about recognizing these, I guess, destructive thought patterns and being compassionate enough to ourselves to pull ourselves back. Yeah. That's what's important. Yeah, and I think that's that's really important, I guess, as we go into this next step. If you do feel like you are becoming more in this preoccupied phase, then you want to try and, you know, nip it in the bud early and, you know, 
create some strategies or, you know, see a professional uh, to help you get back to that normal eating, don't ignore it because then it could get, you know, worse um, and it could progress into this disordered eating phase. So what are some of the characteristics of the disordered eating phase on the spectrum? So the first thing I want to say is it's where, pro- it's where preoccupation progresses towards significantly starting to impact somebody's life. So some examples, somebody is so, so, so preoccupied and starting to get obsessed over what they're eating, the timing of their eating, how much they're eating, they may start to become some form, some sort of food rituals or ritualistic behavior where all of these things tied in together starts to get in the way of someone's work. So for example, they're, they're getting to work late, they're spending so much time at work planning their food or tracking their food or thinking about their food that they actually lose productivity time or they lose mental energy because they're spending so much of that mental energy on thinking about and planning their food. Excuse me, in a similar way, it may get in the way of their study. They may not have the mental resources or even the the time resources to be able to dedicate it towards their study because they are so busy thinking about or planning their food. And it's another thing we have to mention here, just in regards to the mental energy side of things. If somebody's sorted eating behaviors are restrictive in manner or dichotomous in manner where certain food groups are being cut out or minimized, they may not have, they may be losing the, I guess, the energy availability to actually be able to think and plan or uh, problem solve at work or at university or whatever study they're doing, let's say, because they don't actually have the fuel from the food or the certain food groups available to be able to engage in these things. So both things come into play there. So their work, their study, their relationships, whether it's with their family, whether it's romantic relationships, whether it's friendships, these may start to become interfered with because the person is becoming increasingly irritable and anxious and obsessive again over their food and or exercise and or bodies to the point where they may not have the energy to, they may not have the time to or the perceived time to anymore, or where they may be so anxious that their their eating or the exercise behavior is going to be interfered with because of these social, these social experiences. So people may start isolating themselves away from these social experiences because they're so obsessed with being quote unquote perfect with their eating or their exercise rituals that they may not want to engage in social circles anymore who don't share the same, I guess, disordered eating behaviors. I guess the main point I really want to make here is it is starting to have significant impacts on the person's quality of life it's interfering with their ability to function physically socially and mentally and it's getting to the point now where the person is feeling distressed feeling anxious feeling obsessive feeling irritable and it's not allowing them to be who they quote-unquote normally are as a human being in their life yeah spot on i love that you brought it back to that quality of life as well like they're the return on investment for the time and effort and I guess, uh, yeah, the amount of mental energy it's taking up in their lives is actually a negative return on investment for, for what we call, we go back into the deep health. They're focusing so much on the physical that, they are, that they're social, they're emotional, they're mental, maybe environmental, they're existential, um, maybe even economic health, all of them are suffering as a result. 
and that is no longer a healthy human being then. Um, I really love that you mentioned the, you know, not having enough energy to think as well, because people often neglect the fact that, you know, we need energy for basically everything that we do. Um, and, you know, thinking cognitive function is certainly one of those. Um, I, I love the concept that you used of mental resources. I use this quite often with my clients as well. So let's say, for example, on, on any given day or week, you've only got, a, say, let's say 100 resources to allocate to things. You might have 40 going to, towards work. You might have 20 going towards study. Um, then you might have, you know, 20 going towards your, your relationships and your social health. You might have 10 go towards training and then 10 towards nutrition, right? That's a, a little bit of an example breakdown. But if you become so invested and preoccupied to the point where it's it's distorted with your with your nutrition, with your health and fitness, that may then take up fifty percent. That's so that's so far skewed on what's important to you and your life and the impact that it's going to have on your work, on your study, on your relationships, on your hobbies, and all the other things that you enjoy that are meant to be quite valuable to you as well. Um, so that's what I, I try and yeah, really talk to my clients a lot about mental resources, even in regards to the amount of energy that you can focus on things. But if you, if so much of your time is dedicated to your nutrition, um, and, and exercise in a negative way, then the other areas of your life are going to suffer. Absolutely, man. You've absolutely summed it up so beautifully and eloquently there. And I love what you said towards the end there about how, nutrition and exercise nutrition and or exercise starts to become something destructive it's no longer it's healthy nutrition and exercise whatever that looks like for a certain person is meant to enhance somebody's life it's meant to make their life better and make their life more enjoyable it's meant to help it's meant to help them feel better about their lives and it enjoy their lives more to some capacity right at the, to the point where it starts becoming ritualistic and obsessive and it starts becoming something that people measure their self-worth on and starts becoming something where people feel like they're failing if they're not meeting these certain standards, starting to become something that is an absolute chore to somebody. And obviously every now and again, we don't, we, we don't have as much energy for exercise. That's normal to go, oh, I don't really feel like it today. But to the point where every single time, someone is going to go for that run or go for that massive weight session or prepare their dinner, their obsessive disorder dinner to the point where it starts becoming something for somebody who they no longer actually want to do it. They feel compelled to engage in these behaviors and they continue to engage in these behaviors because they feel so compelled to and so scared about what's going to happen if they don't. That point is where, okay, there's a problem here. This has become disordered. This is where I need to change. It is no longer enhancing my life. It is making my life harder and it's making my life miserable. Yeah, and I think it's, it's good to differentiate. There's, you know, there's the person who wakes up and goes, I don't feel like going to the gym today. Um, they probably just need to sometimes, you know, would say suck it up and, and wake up and, and go because you will feel better um, as opposed to the person who's at the disordered point and going, like they actually can't stay in bed. Like they, it will ruin their day if they don't go to the gym. Exactly. Exactly. Such an important distinction to make and the frequency at which that happens as well. Yeah. Uh, there's probably like if once in a while, I feel like that in the morning, uh, but I, I always feel better when I go versus someone who is waking up to their alarm clock every single morning to go and make whatever food and to go and do this 
very intense fatiguing workout that they are forcing themselves to do. And like you said, if they don't do it, they may feel ashamed for the rest of their day and, and compensate with other means. Yeah. Do you think that this person, maybe they, they lack the ability to tune into their internal cues, like their body screaming out, fuck, give me a rest. Um, But also like listening to what their body wants and needs in regards to nutrition, because it's so methodical. You must eat at this time, eat these things. You must train at this time and do this. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome, man. Awesome. And I believe I'm a firm believer that external cues or external regulation with someone's nutrition can be helpful, especially in early stages with people who think very objectively. However, what the point you just made then is for someone who I guess is a little bit more experienced with food and nutrition has a little bit more knowledge and has general awareness of the hunger fullness signals eating intuitively can be so, so, so helpful and beneficial in terms of listening to your body, obviously with food and nutrition, but with other means, like you just said, with exercise, with fatigue, with sleep, socializing, even these people who become so tied up in these external messages that they've become obsessed with about what healthy eating or what um, sufficient exercise, let's say, should look like. They're so tied up in these things and obsessed over these things and scared about not engaging in these things that they i guess they they no longer really know what their hunger and satiety looks or feels like and they no longer really know what they enjoy exercise wise just because they're so tied up in what they feel like they should be doing yeah and i think you know we go always go back to everything we want to try and promote spectrums rather than like switches you're not either external or internal you can yeah. float in between and grab the positive traits from both of them and use both of them and like, yeah, get guidelines and data from external cues, but also learn to listen to your body and follow those internal cues too. I love that, man. And I'm finding that at the moment myself, I um, tracking my macronutrients for uh, quite a while did help me learn how much my body quote unquote needed to be able to mm gain muscle and build strength when I had those goals. But now that my goals are shifting a little bit and I'm having a little bit more of a career focus now, I'm not as invested in the whole, the muscle building strength building state anymore. Therefore I'm, I got to the point where I'm like, I don't need to to track my macronutrients anymore. This is causing more stress in my life than actually enhancing my life. And in the past month or so I've transitioned back towards intuitive eating and it's, I automatically feel a decreased stress load on my shoulders food and eating is automatically more enjoyable and relaxing and training in itself is actually more enjoyable i'm not as tied up over tracking my food and worried about being able to fit in enough food i'm just i'm just enjoying my training for what it is i'm able to focus on my work on my study for what it is and then when i'm hungry i will go and eat food and it's it's just tying like like you said with the spectrum pulling myself away from the externally regulated spectrum and closer towards the internally regulated side it's just i've just felt that so much of a decreased stress load and it's so rewarding yeah that's it man i think that's what you know we say to our clients as well like we want to take the stress away from nutrition but we also want nutrition to take the stress away from your life it shouldn't if nutrition's adding stress to your life then we need to work on that and create some solutions and strategies together um, to try and reduce the amount of stress that you're getting, well, like that, that nutrition is causing you. 
Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Awesome. So we probably should touch on, on the final, um, I guess, part of the spectrum, which is a clinically diagnosed eating disorder. So what are some of the characteristics um, and, and traits of, of that level? Absolutely, man. So when someone's disordered eating has, I guess, for the lack of a better phrase, gone far enough to the point where it meets the DSM-5 or the Diagnostic Statistical Manual for, for Mental Psychiatric Disorders, when it, the disordered eating has become frequent enough and has having a significant enough impact on the person's health and health and quality of life and functioning, the DSM-5 has diagnostic categories for different eating disorders. So diagnostic thresholds, I should say. So again, everything is on a spectrum. Someone may be here with disordered eating and heading towards this space, but not quite meet the thresholds in the DSM-5 for a diagnosed eating disorder. However, what I really want to touch on is that that doesn't mean that the person's situation or condition, if you like, isn't deserving of help. They still deserve every and every utmost bit of help that they feel like they need or they want, even if they don't meet the threshold for a clinically diagnosed eating disorder. If someone's experiencing distress and fatigue in their life to the point where like, I need help with this, they are more than entitled to seeing a health professional and that health professional, uh, if they are respectful and wanting to help make positive changes in people's lives, will take them on and help them. So that's just what I wanted to preface this with. But a clinically diagnosed eating disorder meets the threshold in the DSM-5 for, I guess, clinical threshold or clinically severe disordered eating, if you like. So there's anorexia nervosa, which may be one of the quote-unquote most known eating disorders, or that's probably what meets the, the Western world stereotype of what an eating disorder is. They're a thin white female is what people stereotype with as experiencing anorexia nervosa. But this stereotype, which is starting to become more known nowadays as being, as being too, um, too zoned in, White privileged females are not the only people who experience anorexia nervosa. Anybody can experience anorexia nervosa. And that's what I was diagnosed with to use as an example. So anybody, any, any form of gender orientation, any color, any race or ethnicity, any person of any age, I should mention as well, can experience an eating disorder. And in this example, anorexia nervosa. So that's the first one. And even though there's different subcategories of anorexia nervosa, the, I guess the general premise around it is restriction. People restrict their food intake and or overcompensate for their food intake. So let's use an example, excessive exercise in order to restrict the total amount of food that their body is getting. And this is usually, not always, but usually marked by clinically significant weight loss and malnourishment to the point where it's having, obviously, mental and social, but from a medical standpoint, I guess, medically concerning effects on the person's physiology to the point where it can become life-threatening. So anorexia nervosa is the first one. The second main one I want to mention is bulimia nervosa. Some people may have some form of concept about this one, but it's characterized by recurring binge cycles. So eating with a loss of control on either objective or perceived large quantities of food in a short amount of time. And then that is followed by a purging method. So often 
vomiting, self-induced vomiting is a, a commonly used purging method, but other things as well, like laxative misuse and even diuretic abuse as well. People use purging methods to try and pull that food that they've just eaten out of their bodies or eliminate, it's a better word, eliminate the food they've eaten out of their bodies. The third one that I want to mention, and it was only recently included in the DSM-5, finally is uh, binge eating disorder. And this shares the similarity with, with bulimia nervosa where it's characterized by eating large, perceived or objectively large amounts of food in a short amount of time. However, someone with binge eating disorder, they are likely to experience the same feelings of shame, guilt, fear, anxiety following a binge. However, they don't eliminate the food from their bodies via purging methods such as self-induced vomiting. So those are the main three ones I wanted to mention. And then another one is, is OSFED. So other specified feeding and eating disorders. That's where somebody shows signs of a clinically significant eating disorder, but they don't fall into a category as per se. They don't follow, they don't fall into the AN, the BN or the BED categories as per se. They may show signs of all of these or some of these, but they don't fit the category as, as I guess, definitively. And then the last one I want to mention, which isn't as part, a part of the DSM-5 yet. However, they, I hope to see it in there over the next decade or so is orthorexia nervosa. And this is where somebody is, isn't necessarily obsessed with their body image as per se. They may or they may not be, but their obsession and their, I guess, concept of, of self-worth or their self-identity is tied very closely within eating quote unquote healthily or quote unquote purely. And their concept of what healthy or, or pure eating is, is I guess disordered or maladaptive. And it's to the point where they are, they are, aren't meeting their physical, social, and mental requirements because they are so obsessed with this disordered concept of what healthy eating is. But yeah, that's not in the DSM-5 yet. However, it's becoming increasingly recognized in people and I believe it will be in the next decade or so. Yeah, I think just looking at the the, the trends of the spectrum is that the, the further along you get towards from, you go from preoccupation to disordered to clinically diagnosed, it's, it's having a greater negative impact on your quality of life and other areas of yeah. your life. You're more focused on your your physical health and your body and your intake and maybe your output as well. Um, probably very much, mostly in regards to restriction. Apart from when we look at say the the binge eating disorder, but a lot of it is to do with restricting your your input. Maybe uh, doing too much in regards to your um, output. Your relationship with exercise is is maybe disordered as well. Um, but the the your quality of life is just suffering um, more and more. Now, what Absolutely. I guess what what can we do as practitioners when we start to see? Let's let's really focus on the the preoccupation phase because I think we will probably see most clients at some point getting into this preoccupation phase. So, what can we do as practitioners to tr to tr I guess to try and prevent them from getting to that disordered eating phase, which is very close to then the uh, clinically diagnosed phase? We want to try and I guess uh, tackle things early on. I guess. 
screening is one of the most important things and finding out someone's history and of whether it's other forms of health conditions. And I want to really want to touch on here, I guess, mental health conditions. Let's say it is an example, anxiety or depression or obsessive traits. And obviously we can't jump out of the water and ask for someone's mental health conditions. But I guess as we start to build rapport with, with a client, I guess, building enough rapport and trust to the point where they're willing to share their mental health experiences in the past. And somebody who may be more anxious, who may be, may have lower self-esteem, may not have as great a control over their mood or regulating their mood. These are risk factors for developing disordered eating and developing a clinically diagnosed eating disorder. Because one thing I didn't mention before, which some people don't aren't always aware of is that eating disorders are psychiatric conditions. They, they present physically on the surface through their bodies and their behavior, but the, the condition, the eating disorder is, is a psych, psychiatric condition. So I guess what I want to say here is if we are working with people who either, I guess, confide in us by sharing with us that they, they do experience mental health conditions or whether they, we start to notice that they are very anxious or they are very harsh on themselves or they are very perfectionistic and obsessive. If we start to notice these sorts of things, that's where we need to be. We should already be, be careful with the way language we use around food and the way we approach things. But I guess we should add an extra layer of, of caution with how we speak about food and I guess goals and targets that we help to, to set with these clients as well as on the other end, how much we invest into reminding them to take care of their mental health and reminding them to, I don't love the word, but have a more holistic view on their health mm. rather than purely focusing on their, on their bodies and purely focusing on their nutrition and their exercise. We need to take an extra step to really encourage them to focus on all domains of their health. Like I mentioned before, their mental health, their social health, engaging in their hobbies and other things that they enjoy, engaging in self-compassion towards themselves, taking care of their financial, excuse me, their financial health and really tapping into their, their other values in their life away from nutrition, exercise and their bodies, because we should be doing this for everybody. And so, however, people with these risk factors for developing disordered eating, eating disorders need an extra little bit of, attention towards these things just so they i guess so we can do our very best to not let them progress towards disordered eating however one of the most important things i'll say is is if we feel like somebody is already starting to head towards that disordered eating space then refer out yeah there are and i've got so much to learn i obviously i'm very passionate about this space but i'm not an experienced eating disorder practitioner yet i've got so much to learn However, what I want to say is we need to refer out to experienced eating disorder dietitians and psychologists if we believe somebody is starting to head towards that disordered space from preoccupation. We shouldn't feel like it's our responsibility to fix anything. And if it's starting to feel out of our scope or out of our depths and we genuinely want to help the person, we'll refer them onto a, onto a, a more experienced practitioner. Yeah, spot on, man. I like like you just said, refer them to the person that's going to help them the most um, because we are in the business of helping people. And if that m- means referring out and 
you know, helping someone change their lives, that's what we've got to do. Just like, you know, as a nutrition professional, you'd want a PT to refer to us uh, for, for diet-related stuff. We need to refer out, you know, to a, a disordered eating specialist um, to make sure that that client is getting the, the, the right help. Um, I think just, you know, in regards to the screening process as well, like we, we do the F, we, sorry, we do that at FNC with our, some of our psychometric testing um, and the questions that we use in our initial consult form. So we can start to get an idea of someone's beliefs and or around certain foods or their eating patterns or their relation with exercise and their body, um, which kind of gives us a few things to, a few starting points even. Um, but I think even starting to help clients challenge their beliefs and thoughts around mm-hmm. certain foods as well, whilst they're in this preoccupation phase, challenge what it means. Okay, if you, if you had a rest day, what do you think would happen? Um, start to challenge those beliefs. Okay, if you ate carbs after 6 p.m., what do you think would happen after that? Like, let's do some tests, let's do some experiments um, and help them challenge those beliefs before they get, like I said, to the next phase of, of disordered eating. Um but that's what I guess we can do as practitioners. But what can an audience do? If they're starting to notice, okay, I'm a bit more preoccupied, you know, you know nutrition's causing me a bit more stress, I'm struggling to take a rest day. What are some of the things that they can do or maybe on their own? So what I love that you just said, man, a big part that I missed is starting to help them gently challenge these beliefs. And if somebody's starting to feel preoccupied with what they're eating and with their bodies, firstly, gently, and compassionately ask yourselves why, like why, why do I think I'm starting to internalize these messages more? Why do I feel like I'm starting to focus on my body and on my nutrition more? Why are you starting to do that? If you haven't done that as much before, what's triggered that? I guess is it, is it a comment from someone? Is it someone else at work or at university? Is it someone else in your family that's either making comments or that are that are starting to focus on their own nutrition and their bodies themselves? Is there a stressful life event that has occurred where you feel like you've maybe lost some control and you need to start controlling something else? Or do you genuinely just want to start making some positive changes and you're an anxious person, so you're instead of seeking help, you're becoming preoccupied and expecting yourself to fix everything. I guess what I'm trying to say is ask yourself why you're you're wanting to make these changes and ask yourself why you're becoming preoccupied in such a manner. And I guess the next step there is finding somebody to help you and being cautious about where you look for that help. Have you dived onto Google and clicked on the first article that pops up and automatically believe everything that's being said? Are you going down to the local gym and asking the first or second person you you see? Who are you asking and where are you getting this information from? Is it a social media profile that's sharing their their own way of eating and their own, I guess, biases around what nutrition is. Or are you booking into a health professional, like a, an experienced nutritionist or dietitian who genuinely has your best interest at heart and wants to help you make positive life enhancing changes? I guess that's the first thing I, I recommend you doing. Ask yourself why you want to make these changes and ask yourself, who is the who are the best people that can help me make these changes so I don't have to try and do it all by myself? Yeah. Awesome, man. I think, yeah, acknowledging first and foremost that there is an issue, that's the first thing you've got to do. Then figure out why do I want to change these behaviours? 
where these thoughts are coming from. And then again, we're starting to challenge those beliefs yeah. and, and write some new ones. Yeah, absolutely. Challenging the beliefs is so, so important. And some people will be more willing to listen and more willing to take on these, these alternative beliefs. And unfortunately, some people who may be a little more strongly preoccupied or they may have have had other destructive beliefs or maladaptive beliefs drilled into their minds in the past. It may be a little bit harder, but I love what you said about behavioral experiments and I guess showing people, not just, not just saying to people, taking on the old actions speak louder than words, showing people that these beliefs can be challenged and aren't necessarily the be all and end all. That's it, man. Yeah. Like you learn, learn by doing like we can tell you, you could read it, but it's not until you put it into action. Like, Let's say, for example, someone's scared to eat carbs after 6 p.m. You go, all right, cool. Well, you're going to eat carbs after 6 p.m. every day this week. Uh, what do you think might happen? And you might go, I'm going to put on weight. Well, okay, let's let's challenge that and let's put it to the test. Yes, when you eat more carbohydrates, you might store a bit more water. So the weight may go up, let's say, like maybe 300 to 500 grams. Nothing to be worried about. But you won't put on, you know, two kilos in a week, right? So then they, they kind of test that how strongly do you believe that first belief okay what's the opposite okay well opposite i, I probably won't, won't get anyway okay what how how strongly do you believe that put to the test what actually happened oh i actually didn't gain anyway or i only gained like 100 grams that's great maybe more food volume more water from storing more carbs okay how strongly do you now believe your original thought that carbs after six make you fat oh well not not at all like that's a simple example of, of how we do it Absolutely. And it can be so rewarding for the person to realize that as well. And so rewarding, but then also freeing. It's so mm. it's, it's liberating is the word I was looking for to realize that this, this fear that they've had for so long doesn't need to be there. And then they can, and then that opens up so many opportunities for new experiences for the person as well, to be able to, to do something which they used to be too scared to do because their belief has been challenged. Yeah, and, it's, and I think it's it's really important to highlight that it's worth doing the work for because I've said it before and I'm going to say it a million times, like we're going to be eating food for the rest of our lives, all right? Until something happens and Elon Musk makes a tablet that we don't have to have any food, but I've said that before as well, that's not a life I want to live because I like food and food has so many roles to play in our life rather than just physical health, like it's a celebration. It you know can enhance experiences. Um, we want to try and improve our relationship with food and have a positive relationship with it and with ourselves too. So, if you feel like you are becoming a bit more preoccupied, even going down the disordered eating track, get guidance, get help from a professional. Um, if you're preoccupied, you know we can work with you. We can go through some strategies to challenge these thoughts and rewrite some new ones. But if you're towards the, you know, the, I guess the other, the, I guess the further end of the spectrum towards the disordered and clinical, like it's, it's time to, to book in to see someone and, um, and get the help that you need. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I love what you said towards the end there as well about, and this comes under the challenging thoughts side of things, helping people to realize what our food is about, because, I always say this to everyone and, and even people with that may not necessarily be preoccupied as people who have beliefs about what a nutritionist or a dietitian does. Like the classic example is 
they're eating something which people perceive to be quote unquote unhealthy. And they're like, oh my God, don't watch me. I'm being naughty. Oh my God, don't come near me. Now. Don't look at me. I'm eating something. Like, I'm like, I don't give a shit what you're eating. Yeah. <laughs> enjoy that burger. Enjoy that hash yeah. brown. Enjoy that lollies. Can I have some too? Like, yeah. that's one of the things that people are so wrapped up in the idea that food is numbers and that food is purely about physical health and food is purely a, an influence on energy balance and body composition. And that is only one piece of the bloody puzzle. Like there's like you just said there, if someone told me that here's this microchip, you don't have to eat ever again. I'd still want to eat. There are so many other, so many other reasons to why we eat and so many other additions to our life that is provided from eating food and cooking food or shopping for food or watching other people prepare food or sitting around a table of, of people who you're communicating with and enjoying food. There's, there's so many different things that it can provide. So why only focus on body composition and numbers behind the food where you're going to miss out on all these other wonderful things as well? That's it, yeah. And like yeah, nutritionists, no, sorry, nutritionists and dietitians, we work with our clients on many, many things rather than just, you know, your, your body composition and, and performance in the gym. There's other things that we can do. Um, and you'll also find very, very quickly that we are the least judgmental people when it comes to food. Like yep. you said, we do not care. Like, I mean, you're more judgmental of your own eating behaviors than we are. And yeah, like, it's so exactly. hard going out to dinner with someone and it's like, what should I get? I'm like, I don't care. Like you get whatever you want. I'm going to get whatever <laughs> I want. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly, man. I love what you said there. They're, I guess in the moment, they are judging themselves more. Well, I probably haven't even taken notice of what they've got in their hand. Like yeah, they're yeah. judging themselves more than what I'm judging them. Yeah. Because yeah. we and, have that yeah. understanding behind food and nutrition, what it provides. That's it. Yeah. And like, yeah, I don't, I don't mean to say we don't care. Like we care about our clients so much, right? Yeah. yeah. But, you know, you're, they probably, like I said, they're more judgmental than we are. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. I think that's been really helpful. Um, and anyone who is in that kind of preoccupation phase has probably got a few things to think about and a few strategies to try. If not, they can kind of reach out to someone. Um, but I think it's time to, to, to wrap the podcast up with a few uh, little quick fire questions. Um, mate, do you have a favorite quote? I've got a few, man. And that's, this is pretty hard, I guess. Hmm. <sighs> I like my, my I'll, I'll say my favorite one is comparison is the thief of joy or um, if you compare, you will despair. So at least be fair. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. I haven't heard that yeah. version. That's great. Mm, mm, yeah. I, yeah. I was in, I, I read it in Carolyn Costin's book, eight keys to recovery from an eating disorder. I can't remember. Sorry. If, I believe it was one of her quotes or one of her clients quotes, but it was in her book. I can't remember if she mentioned who quoted it, but yeah. I, I, that was pro it's probably one of my favorite ones mm. yeah i like that one let's let's just use I'll, i'm going to put an example to to anyone out there all right so we've got the crossfit open coming up and you know we can compare our scores to the best in the world it's a cool thing about crossfit is you can see what you do and compare it to someone great but don't compare your score to someone who's a professional athlete that trains six hours a day and has no other life commitments don't think shit about yourself because of your your score is three minutes slower than the best in the world. Um, don't compare yourself to uh, IFBB, whatever the um, acronym is for whatever those bodybuilder chicks are, um, when that's their job. Their job is to look that way um, 
and you maybe have three kids and can train twice a week. Like it's not, like you said, it's not fair. Make sure if you're comparing, it's fair. Someone with the exact same circumstances as you and still even no one's going to have the exact same circumstances as you. Mm, Yeah, that's an important point. No one has the exact same circumstances. Awesome, Mm. man. Um, All right. Sorry, I hijacked that that one a bit. Uh, But favorite book? Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. Good, good. Um, I liked the the last chapter of that one. That's where I got one of my favorite quotes of um, action inspires motivation. Beautiful. Not the other way around. Um, Are you listening or watching anything at the moment that you like are obsessed with and recommend? I don't watch much TV, so I'm going to be really boring on that capacity. But I'll say my two... Um, actually, no, I'll say my favorite series that I watched over um, uni holidays, and that's Sex Education. Oh, that's correct. That was correct. on Netflix. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant show. It's like a perfect balance between hilarious. It's, it's so funny, but then it's also so important. Mm. It's just so important. And it's literally, I like what you said before, it comes with what, what's on the tin. The name yeah. of the show is is literally educating people in a funny and subtle way about sexual health. And it, yeah, I, I just found it brilliant, man. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Yeah, awesome, man. Great. All right, dude. What's uh, what's coming up for you uh, professionally, personally? Oh, heaps, man. Heaps. So I've got my last semester of university coming up um, that I can finally get the piece of paper and call myself a dietitian, uh, even though I've got a wealth of stuff still to learn. Um, and yeah, my ultimate aim is to be a dietitian in the eating disorders and disordered eating space specifically. And I'm extremely excited to, to be currently being mentored by FNC. And I'm looking forward to, to working with your freaking awesome company in the near future. And I've also been fortunate enough to, to access another internship as well with, um, they're called River Oak Health up in Brisbane. And it's, it's owned and operated by one of my idols in the eating disorder space, Shane Jeffrey. Uh, he's got three clinics and works online as well across Southeast Queensland. And their clinic is dedicated towards uh, eating disorders and disordered eating and helping people build healthier relationships with food. And I'm fortunate enough to, to be going up to the, the ANZs, to the Australian New Zealand's Academy of Eating Disorders Conference in Malulaba, um in a month's time. And I'll be, I'll be a googly-eyed little student around lots of cool people and learning, learning up there and meeting lots of cool people up there as well. And yeah, in the near future, I'll be, I'll be moving to Brisbane, which I'm extremely excited for as well. Um, a lifestyle change I've been wanting to make for a long time. And I'll be, yeah, commencing work up there as soon as I've, as soon as I've graduated. Awesome. Lot, lots and lots and lots of stuff happening, but yeah. Yeah, man. I think, yeah, people, if they've been following FNC for a while, they would have seen your face pop up on the stories and, you know, doing the posts in the community. Um, dude, I'm excited to have you on board at the te- uh, on the team um, and the value that you're already bringing to the community, but even more so when you start working more uh, one-on-one with clients, man, it's exciting um, to have you on board. But where can people find you? Um, to, I guess, check out more of your of your great, um, I guess, information and education that you provide. Thanks, man. So, yeah, my Instagram is arod underscore nutritional, uh, all lowercase. And, yeah, my Instagrams, I do try every now and again post some general nutrition content. Uh, however, most of what I post is dedicated towards 
eating disorders, disordered eating, and and body image. And if, if you like it, it, it is, I don't want to call it a recovery account, but I do try and target a lot of what I'm saying towards people who may be in, in the depths of disordered eating and, and eating disorders. Because yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's what I want to pursue as a niche. Yeah, man, it's, it's really clear that you're passionate about it. You're knowledgeable about it, not just through education, but through firsthand experience. So, mate, there's there's no issue with having your your content, you know, targeted mostly towards that because you do a fantastic job of it. Uh, you bring these issues to light and showing people that that you can get help and that you can recover. Thanks, Josh. It means the world, man. It means awesome, the world. man. Like- yeah, I was gonna say thanks so much for being on the podcast, man. I'm sure it won't be the last time. Thanks so much, Josh. I appreciate the opportunity, mate, and the greater opportunity as it is to be a part of your freaking awesome team. Cheers, man. Thank you. Now, do you want to find a way of eating that's based on your goals, lifestyle, and personal preferences? A way of eating that helps you reach your goals in a sustainable way? If the answer is yes, the one-on-one coaching at FNC is for you. It's an individualized coaching for your goals, lifestyle, and preferences. It has support, accountability, and guidance. It includes weekly email check-ins, fortnightly video calls, 12 weeks of nutrition education, access to the Team FNC online community, and the FNC recipe book. For more information, click the link in our show notes.